back to class. Sorry if I offended anybody by calling 40 old. The truth hurts sometimes. So uh, We're in Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. We're looking at the uh, armor of God, and uh, last week we started into it. We're going to read starting in verse number 10 again today, and read through uh, verse 17. The Bible says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. And take the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit, which is... The Word of God. Let's pray and ask for the Lord's help this morning. Lord, thank you again for the opportunity to come and to open your Word and to learn from it today. And God, I pray that as we continue to look through this armor that you have given and provided um, so that we can withstand. Uh, Lord, we are under an attack uh, every single day and it is a powerful attack and we need uh, to be protected. So Lord, thank you for providing the protection. Help us now to put on Uh, This armor, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We see here uh, in chapter 6, again, last week we looked at uh, the the loins being girt about with truth and the breastplate of righteousness. But I want to look back real quick and we see um, this instruction given to us to put on the whole armor of God. Verse number 11 says that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil... And then verse 12 goes in and reminds us again of the enemy in which we are facing. Because when we're putting on armor, we have to understand the purpose behind it. We have to be reminded and comprehend why we need this armor. And it says in verse 12 that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and rulers of the darkness of this world and spiritual wickedness in high places. We are under attack as Christians uh, in society and in the world. The Bible tells us we are going to be at constant um, enmity with the world. So they're, they're, the Christian is not um, the, the Christian life is not designed uh, to be lived without conflict. We are uh, under conflict constantly. The world is against us. The things of the world are against the things of God. And if we are going to be living the Christian life as God desires for us to do so, we have to understand that means conflict. Um, there, is churches, there are churches today that are kind of trying to figure out how can we fit uh, in with the culture and make them feel comfortable and make them feel at home. Like when they come into our church, we want them to feel just uh, at, at comfort. We don't want them to feel uncomfortable. Well, you know what? The, the Word of God is uncomfortable when it comes to sin. And so, yes, we want to be a welcoming church when people come in. But our desire is not that they are comfortable. Our desire is that they get right with God. 
And if we are trying to soften everything down, uh, we were talking about this this weekend, the, the Bible is offensive. And, uh, <laughs> and so it hurts and it, and it points out uh, and it, it, is, uh, it, is, it is designed to do so, to rebuke us when we're wrong, to reprove us, to correct us, to get us back on the right path. That is the purpose of God's Word. And so, uh, so we have to understand that the world... They're never going to feel comfortable, they should not feel comfortable with us. They should know that we love them, and they should know that we care for them, and we should have compassion and love for them. But the end of the day is our job is not to try to make them feel comfortable. Our job is to give truth, and the truth hurts often. And so to have this before us and to understand that we are at conflict constantly, but specifically, the attacks that we're facing are not so much the, the attacks from our co-workers um, and from society as a whole. It's much more severe than that. The conflict that we are in and the war that we are in is not against flesh and blood. And I think that's important for us to comprehend because sometimes we get so busy arguing and fighting with flesh and blood that we fail to remember that our enemy, the attacker, is so much stronger than that. And I think sometimes we ruin our testimony by wrestling with flesh and blood when we should be wrestling and understand that, we, that we're supposed to be wrestling against something so much more important than that. And so we see here it's telling us that we wrestle against not flesh and blood, but principalities and powers and rulers of the darkness of this world. And spiritual wickedness in high places. Guess what? Um, there is a spiritual battle that is at the highest level of every society, of every neighborhood, of every culture that is attacking and attacking and attacking. And it's not your coworker. It's much more powerful than, than your coworker. It's not your neighbor. It's so much more powerful than your neighbor. That these spiritual uh, wickedness in high places and these principalities and these powers might use your coworker and might use your neighbor uh, in different ways. But you have to know who you're fighting. And sometimes that means stop fighting certain people. Focus your energy and your efforts uh, and, and your game plan on who you're actually fighting. It's Satan. It's everything to do with Satan. And it is a constant attack. And so the Bible says that we have to, as it says in verse uh, 13, again reminds us to take unto you the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the, in the evil day, having done all to stand. And then it tells us how to. Stand therefore, putting on this armor, the loins girt about with truth, the breastplate of righteousness. And today we're going to look at two more uh, things that are listed for us here in Scripture. Let's start in verse number 15. The Bible says, and also, and having your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. This is an interesting uh, uh, piece of armor, and it's an interesting um, way that it's worded for us here as well. We see here the words given to us in Scripture, having your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Um, we see a picture given to us. There's two parts to protect here. It's the shoe, uh, and, and then it's also a uh, leg protection called the greaves. And we'll look at it here, the, the picture that's given. And so we see the idea of the shoe or the sandal. It's a covering of the foot. It is something that protects 
um, the foot area. And on the bottom, it's basically a cleat, ultimately, at the end of the day. Um, they would put spikes or nails to be able to be able to grasp the ground, to get good traction uh, in. Uh, I'm, I'm a fan of cleats. I, I don't play field sports very often anymore. Um, but in my younger years, uh, playing softball or football or even uh, the Nazi sport of soccer, um, you, it was good to have good grip uh, on the ground. Uh, you could tell the people who were running with cleats versus the people who were not. Um, the people who were slipping and sliding and falling down all the time didn't have cleats on. Um, the people who had cleats on were typically staying on their feet more often. They were running a little faster. They were able to uh, get a little bit more push off uh, on the initial, the initial run, whatever it may be. And so these shoes that they would wear, sandals they would wear in battle, would give them some covering of the foot. It would also, though, have that uh, spiker nail on the bottom to give that firm uh, grip onto the ground, whether it be for running forward or whether it be for holding their ground as well. And then the other part of shotting your feet uh, here was the greaves. We read about this in 1 Samuel with Goliath having these greaves, and it covers up to the, to the knee. It covers the leg, fitted to the leg. It's made of brass, and it is purely for protection. Now, obviously, if you kick somebody with it, it would hurt, um, and, and I'm sure it would do some damage. But the idea behind it was to protect the legs and the feet. And so when we're looking at the picture that God gives us here of having your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, we see this protection and this ability to withstand, as we've read about already in these verses. The purpose here of, of having our feet shod with the preparation of the gospel, well, it tells us right there in the verse, is the, the preparation aspect, being prepared. When you're going into battle... Um, you need to be fully and ready and prepared. Now, we think about the gospel and we think, okay, well, what are we supposed to be prepared to do with the gospel? Well, we're supposed to be prepared to go. The Bible tells us in multiple instances uh, the importance that we are commanded and commissioned to go. Go into all the world. Uh, go everywhere. Go to all people and preach the gospel. We are commanded by God to be ready to go. The Bible says to be ready with an answer at all times. It is to be prepared. Um, when you're preparing for battle, listen, you can put on the breastplate um, that we talked about last week. You can have your loins girt about with truth. But if your feet aren't ready, you're going to be limited in battle. Uh, I grew up in Tennessee, and in Tennessee, like Kentucky, barefoot was a thing. Um, uh, it was not un uncommon to see someone walking around without shoes on at certain places and certain times. Um, had a, uh, a lady who worked at the camp for a time. She was from Louisiana, and she was legit Cajun. And she was barefoot hiking through the mountains. She would, uh, and she had a, a big old knife. And uh, and she would walk around uh, 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 hiking through the the what we called mountains um, there in Middle Tennessee. And she would go barefoot. And I thought that was the craziest thing in the world. First of all, there's snakes, which is why she had the big knife. Uh, but there's snakes. And so it's dangerous. Uh, you know, I spent a lot of my young life in cowboy boots and, uh, and well protected from the uh, adversities of the, the, the terrain. But she would go out barefoot. Not only is it dangerous because there's snakes, there's a lot of rocks. In Tennessee, and there's parts of Kentucky that are like this too, but rocks grew. Uh, it, was, uh, it, was, uh, it was something that, that, that grew in Tennessee. So every time it rained, rocks would come to the surface of the ground. 
And you could rake rocks off. I did this many times. We had a softball field at the camp. And so I'd go out and rake all the rocks off the softball field. And then it would rain and there would be more rocks. And I'm talking about piles of rocks. Not like, not like just a couple here and there. I mean, a whole line of rock uh, just lined up across the infield that I had to rake off every time it rained. And so in Tennessee, if you're walking around barefoot, you're going to step on a rock. Uh, guaranteed, it's going to happen. And, uh, you know, my feet didn't like stepping on rocks. I don't know about yours. Uh, it was not something we enjoyed to do, not my feet and I. Um, we did not like stepping on rocks. Um, on top of that, there are other creatures, bees. Um, if you step on a bee, uh, typically they will sting you, and, uh, and, and it hurts. Uh, right? There are other little, just little things out there, mosquitoes, chiggers, whatever it may be, that if you don't have your feet protected, it's a problem. And, uh, you know, it's funny, I think about the times that we would walk through the creek and, uh, and hunt for crawfish and things like that, and now I just think, that was really not smart. There's a lot of snakes in the creek, or barefoot, you know, all that kind of stuff. It just doesn't make sense. You need to cover your feet. You need to protect your feet. Uh, and if you're a soldier and you're in battle and you hurt your foot, how, how likely are you going to be able to defend against what's going on in front of you? You're going to be limited. You're going to be hurt. Um, if you get shot in the leg, it affects your ability to run. It affects your ability to fight. It affects your ability to, to stand firm against, against the enemy. And so your feet need to be protected. So it's a preparation. It's preparing for. It's a readiness for war. We should be ready with the gospel. We should be ready with God's word. We should be ready to stand, whether it be attacks against us with God's word, and we should be ready to go with God's word as well. We'll look more at that when we get to the sword uh, next week. But we see this, this readiness that needs to be, needs to be there. To, we, how do we get ready with the gospel? Well, we study, we read, um, we prepare, we have to have the knowledge of God's word. We have to have the knowledge of the gospel in order to be ready with the gospel. And so we have to prepare for this. When we are prepared, uh, when we are ready, we're going to be able to stand in the battle, stand firm in the battle. Well, why do we need to do that? Well, Satan's going to test us. Are you prepared to stand firm? There are so many Christians today and all throughout history who were not prepared for the attacks that Satan would come, and they were not ready to stand firm. There is so much out there today, false teaching. The Bible warns us of it. It's, it's all over the place, and it's prevalent today, that if we're not prepared, we're going to get pushed back on it. When the Bible teaches us the truth of, of God's word, we need to be prepared with it and studied and, and, and knowledgeable and so that when the Satan tests us with our knowledge of God, he's going to bring doubt into your life. He's going to have people that will challenge you on things that you haven't studied, that you're not ready for, that all of a sudden makes you doubt what, what the Bible says. And all of a sudden, you don't have that footing to hold firm, and you begin to get pushed back. And I'll tell you what, it's dangerous. I have watched many, many a Christian uh, you see it in Bible college all the time. It gets, gets challenged on something. And they don't know what the Bible says. And they start to get pushed back a little bit. Because someone who sounds smart challenges them on something that 
that is uh, against the Bible, but because they don't know the Bible, they buy into the deceit and they begin to get pushed back. And that's what we're talking about here, being prepared and being ready. It's, it's being able to have a firm grip, get those cleats dug into the dirt and hold strong as the attacks come because Satan's going to test you. And friends will try to sway you. I would assume that at least as adults, we all have friends who disagree with us on certain things, biblically. And those friends try to sway you into their belief. Um, I've, I've met uh, uh, Catholics. I have uh, uh, customers who I enjoy. They're very nice people. Um, they're strong Catholics. And they think everybody else should be too. And they're kind and whatever it may be. You know what? They try to sway subtly. Try to sway. Uh, we've come across Jehovah's Witnesses before. What do they try to do? They try to sway. You're going to have people who are going to try to sway you. Are you prepared? Do you have a strong, firm foot in the ground? You might have family members who will challenge you. So one thing I say about family members is they know you. <laughs> um, you can't fool family members. You can fool friends sometimes. You can fool neighbors and coworkers all the time. But, but family knows you. Um, you know, I grew up with some lost family members, and it's like, they know, they know you. I mean, we're the same age. You know, we did the same stupid stuff together. And, and whatever it may be, they know you. And they can see through any hypocrisy that you have. And it's not always hypocrisy. Sometimes it's you grew, you learned, and you got right, and you did better. Um, and, but the first thing to them is, hey, I remember back when we were eight. <laughs> you know, you're like, well, yeah, but we were all stupid at eight. Um, uh, but you've got to overcome those things. And family, family will challenge you. Do you have your feet prepared and shod so that they're stuck in the ground so that you can't get pushed back on the truth of God? What about your children? What happens when your children start getting those questions and then they start asking you those questions? What happens when your children have friends that aren't uh, uh, lined up biblically and, and, and those friends begin to question and begin to challenge your children, and then your children then uh, are again susceptible to that, and they start falling into that. Well, it sounds right. It sounds good. It sounds fine. Um, and they ask you, and your response is, I don't know. Well, man, you're not prepared. That's going to have a lasting effect. We have to be prepared. And it says specifically with the gospel of peace, Carnal weapons are about revenge and war. Uh, everything that the, the world is going to attack you with is, is, is going to be um, combative. It's going to be uh, conflict. It's going to cause hurt. It's going to cause chaos. That's just the way Satan works. Satan is not an orderly uh, being. God is a God of order. He desires order. Satan is the opposite of that. He desires chaos. Just think about the things that Satan did in the life of Christ. It's all about creating chaos, uh, conflict, uncertainty. Well, we're supposed to be prepared with the gospel of peace. God arms us with a gospel that brings peace. The word gospel, we know, is, a, is, is the same idea and the same word as good news. It is, it is good news. Good news brings peace. 
If you're given, listen, if you're having a bad day, and I don't know if you've been in this situation before, but you're having a bad day, and it's like one thing after another, doom, 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 and then someone comes in and calls your name, and you just go, can you give me some good news? And if they do, then immediately you're like, oh, thank goodness. Everything else has been chaos. Everything else has been hard. And finally, I've got some good news today. Um, I remember there have been times in my life where, yeah, uh, election night, and you're sitting there and you're watching the election go on, and you're just saying, can we please have some good news? And maybe one election doesn't go the way you want, but you're watching the local stuff or you're watching whatever, and you're saying, oh, well, okay, at least we got that. All right, at least we got that. And there's a little bit of good news uh, from there. There was, there was times where I was getting ready to go to bed and said, it's all over, and then all of a sudden, wait, no, it's not all over. Um, they were hanging chads many, many years ago. There were different things that happened. You're just trying to figure out what's going on, and you just want some good news. Well, the gospel is that. And we're supposed to be prepared with the gospel of peace, with good news. When we have our feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, we're going to be ready. We're going to be ready to march. We're going to be ready to fight. We're going to be ready to have a firm footing, to stand fast and to hold our ground. And we have another area protected in the battle that we are in. We've already talked about that breastplate. We've talked about the, uh, the, the girdle of truth. And now we've got the feet shod and prepared. Basically from the knee down we're covered. And we're covered with the, the gospel of peace. Good news. Something that we can give out that is going to help. And, and not only help those who we share it with, it's going to help us. See, when we're in this battle and we're being attacked with this battle, to have that gospel of peace on, to have that knowledge and that understanding of who God is and what He's done for me and how He's taking care of me, now in the battle it protects me as, as Satan is telling me, God hates you, God has abandoned you, God has left you, God isn't hearing you. I have on the preparation of the gospel of peace that says, no, I have good news. And no matter how much chaos Satan wants to throw at me, I am prepared with the gospel of peace. I am protected. We'll spend the rest of our time in verse 16 today. And it says, Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith you shall be able to quench the fiery darts of the wicked. We see this picture here, this shield. It's usually made of light wood, so you can carry it. Um, and it's not too super heavy. They covered it with thick animal hide, and they polished it as smooth as they could and covered it with oil so as the arrows and the darts would hit it, it would, it would deflect off and bounce off of them. This is not the, um, um, the, the round shield. This is a long, rectangular, uh, sometimes oval shield that covers about four feet is what most people said. So it covers a good portion of your body. Um, and so when you think of this idea, with the word here, above all, it's not, it's not talking about it as, a, as an importance above everything else. This is the most important thing. It's saying that it, it protects above all. It goes over top of and protects above everything. It gives you a lot of protection. Now, this is important because, listen, every piece that, that God gives us is important, and, and it covers different areas and protects in different ways. This shield is the external part of this that, that, is, that is giving you the most singular protection of any piece of armor that you're wearing. So the helmet covers your head, the breastplate covers your torso, uh, that, the feet shod covers your knee down. 
And this, this shield is covering at least four feet worth of your body. It's taking up a good portion of it. And so, so we look at this, and what is this shield? Well, it's faith. Well, faith is something we talk about. Faith is something we've heard about since we were kids. Faith is something that we know is supposed to be important, that we're supposed to have in our life. We know it's uh, uh, without faith, it's impossible to please the Lord. Well, that sounds pretty important to me, as is everything else that we're putting on. What is faith? Well, Hebrews 12, 1 says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Well, that sounds nice. <laughs> what does that mean? Well, faith is substance. It's substantial. Uh, faith is the, uh, uh, substantiates the promises of God in our life. It gives substance to these promises. Faith is a... It's a difficult thing. Um, the Bible tells us that faith is so important and so powerful that faith the size of a mustard seed can move mountains. Uh, we see God talking about lack of faith, especially in his ministry um, with his disciples. And we see all these different lessons uh, about faith, especially throughout the New Testament, in the Old Testament too, but especially throughout the New Testament. And we see all these things that come through. Well, faith substantiates the promise of God. It makes it solid. It makes it substantial in my life. Having faith that God will do what God says he'll do uh, gives me that, that uh, the Bible uses the word hope, uh, different than the hope that we use today in most cases. Um, but it gives us that, that, that hope of what is and what is to come, that confidence in what is and what is to come. Faith is substance, but faith is also evidence. It's convincing proof to the believer. Uh, I like it uh, when I saw, I saw this definition or this idea behind this, is the soul sees what the eye cannot. And that's what faith is. Faith is the evidence for the soul to see what the eye cannot visibly see. I've spent my whole life um, hearing faith talked about. And the, you know, a great example is the chair. You pull out the chair and you tell someone, sit down on the chair. The person sits down on the chair and they had faith that that chair would hold. Um, you know, you don't know who made the chair. You don't know anything about the chair. It's just a chair. And you had faith that it would hold. And you sat down and you just believed it, Right? Well, it's a simple illustration, but it's a good one. And to understand that the faith that we're supposed to have in God is the faith that God will hold, that God will hold up. It substantiates the promises, that the promises of God will hold true. And that's what faith does for us. Faith does not guess. Um, faith is not guessing. Faith is not, I hope so. Faith is, I'm confident that it is so. And so it's evidence in my heart that the things that I can't see, the things that I can't visibly see, it is faith, faith is the evidence in my heart that says it's true, that it's right, that what God said he will do, God will do. Now listen, God has given us a whole lot more evidence than just faith. God, throughout all of history, has shown us over and over and over again that what he says, he will do, and that what he says is truth. And that he does not conflict himself. He does not conflict. Even uh, science backs up who God is. Now, scientists don't always, but science does. And, and we see history backs up. Everything points to the truth of God. And God has given us evidence. God has given us creation to see for ourselves 
what God is capable of. You look at creation, and my goodness, you look at the seasons, and, and you can be in different places of the world and hear people complain about we don't have enough of this season, don't have enough of this season, and whatever. Who cares? Move. Uh, but uh, we have the seasons that come through in the cycles of life. We have uh, plants, and we have animals, and we have human beings, and we have how those things work, the nervous system, um, the way that the blood works throughout the body, the way that I can move my finger and not even think about it. The way that I can uh, pick my no 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 that's wrong. Uh, the, the, all the, the way that pain works, where it has to send a sensory up to the brain and then back down and says that hurt. Things that we don't really even think about on a regular basis, but when you learn about it, you go, my goodness, that is magnificent. An example I've always liked of of, of God being the creator is you take a watch. And if you take a watch and you put it in a paper bag and you smash that watch up and you shake that bag, you're not going to pour out a, a, a ready-made watch. It, it takes a maker. It takes them time and, and, and just specific detail to make a watch a watch. You magnify that by infinity and you get creation. And it took a maker to piece together every piece of creation. And he was so powerful, he did it with his tongue. He said, let there be, and there was. But along with that, the simplicity of creation, meaning that God did it simply by speaking, sometimes makes us forget about the details that God put into creation. That every kind was able to recreate its own kind. It didn't turn into something different over millions and millions of years the daisy produces more daisies the apple tree produces more apple trees the human produces more humans and and he did this all on purpose and he did it all with such detail so when i'm having faith in god it's not in just something that i have no evidence in no i've never seen god face to face no i've never touched god uh physically but i have seen god I have experienced God. I have felt God. And he has given me so much evidence in this world. And faith goes on top of that evidence to give the soul evidence of what the eye cannot see. That's what faith is. And God says here, and in this battle, in this spiritual war that you're in, you need to take the shield of faith so that, you can, uh, that you're able to quench the fiery darts of the wicked. You know, as long as a soldier had his shield, he felt protected. Have you ever left your house or the church without your phone? <laughs> have, you ever, have you ever left and you drove off and you're, you're headed down the road and all of a sudden you realize, I don't have my phone on me. In today's day and time, most people, if you don't have your phone, you feel lost. What are you going to do with your dead time? How are you going to keep up with the, the gossip? Uh, how are you going to get your news? Does this radio thing in my car still work? Right, and you're sitting there, you're just like, oh no. You remember, most of you will. Do you remember what it was like to need to tell someone something and you weren't in the same room or in the same building? As a matter of fact, 
you were driving on your way to the grocery store and the person at the house thinks, oh no, did we put milk on the list? Well, you couldn't call or text and say, we need milk. You had to hope with everything that you had that the person going to the store knew that we needed milk. Because if not, they were going to come home and there was going to be no milk. You couldn't just call. You could call the store and say, can you please announce over the loudspeaker? And they're going to say no. Um, but do you remember that feeling? As a kid, you know, if we were running late as a kid, we couldn't just call mom and say, hey, I'm running five minutes late. I'm on my way. I promise I'm running five minutes late. As a parent, I wasn't a parent back then. I have to imagine that there could be some, uh, uh, some hard moments when you're sitting there going, they're supposed to be home by now, especially when they're driving. They're supposed to be home by now. Where are they? Something happened to them? And we go through that now, but now we can call. You should not text while they're driving. Uh, you can call, and you can say, hey, are you everything okay? Yeah, yeah, I'm just down the road. I'll be there shortly. Okay, great. But back when I was a kid, you couldn't do that. And if you were running late, there was no way to tell mom. You couldn't send up the flares. Um, you couldn't light up the bat signal. You couldn't let her know, I'm, I'm, running, I'm okay. I'm just running a little bit late. Couldn't do it. Well, well that was a scary time. That was a, that was a hard moment. And, 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 and there was moments where it left you feeling vulnerable and unprotected. But nowadays, because we have the technology, we don't feel as vulnerable. If you're by yourself... You don't feel as vulnerable if you have your phone and you can call the police. But there was a day where if you didn't have, you didn't have that opportunity, and if you were alone and it was dark and you were stranded on the side of the road, you didn't know what was going to happen. The shield of faith is and, and so much more important than a phone, but I think that exemplifies a little bit for us because most of us have experienced that in our life where we didn't have that opportunity. The shield of faith gives us a protection and a confidence um, that, that helps us to feel protected no matter where we are. And a soldier, if he didn't have his sword, he was left open. Yeah, he still had armor on, but now he was more vulnerable. A Christian without faith is so much more vulnerable to the attacks that Satan is, is hurling at them. As long as we live by faith, as long as we have faith, we're going to feel protected. And Mark 4 the Bible tells us a story of the disciples and Christ being out on the sea. And Christ was tired. He had spent a long time uh, ministering and preaching. And, and, and he was just he was worn out. So he went down in the boat and went to sleep. And there's this storm that comes. And the disciples, uh, man, they're terrified. And many of these, these disciples had a lot of water experience. The storm was bad, and the waves were crashing, and it was filling the boat, and, and, and they were concerned that they were going to die. And finally, somebody went down and woke up Christ because someone thought, well, he doesn't even care that we're dying up here. Someone thought, well, maybe we should wake him up and let him know. And so they went down in the boat, and they woke up Christ, and they said, you know, we're about to die. The boat's flooding. We're about to go under. And you remember Christ comes up, and he calms the, the sea, but he says in uh, Mark 4, 39, Why are ye so fearful? How is it that ye have no faith? His rebuke to his disciples was, Why are ye so fearful? How is it that ye have no faith? He says they had seen so much. They had heard so much. And yet they doubted God's compassion for them in that moment. 
They said, we're going to die. And he doesn't even care. And he says, how is it that you have no faith? From everything that you've seen me do, everything that you've heard me preach, everything that you've had conversations with me and we've talked, how is it that you have no faith that I'm going to take care of you? Now bring that to our lives. You have lived this life and you've watched God. You've read his word and you see all the things that God has done. And then in your own life, you've experienced Christ. He saved you and he's provided for you and he's protected you and he's given you wisdom and counsel and all these things. And yet there are moments in life where we sit there and we go, oh my goodness, the world is coming to an end. I'm going to die and God doesn't even care. And God asks the same question. What are you afraid of? How is it that you don't have any faith in this situation? And if we're in the middle of a spiritual battle, how dangerous is it if we don't have faith? Because these darts listed here in verse number 16 as fiery darts, man, they're coming at us. And they're not the little, they're like the the yard darts that you used to have. And they got fire on them. They're a little bit more intense than that even so. And they're coming. If you don't have that shield of faith to protect you and to deflect those fiery darts, guess what? Something's going to hit you. You might have on the helmet, the breastplate, and your feet shod, but there's a dart's going to find a way through. Those darts got small little tips that can pierce and can come right, slip through little cracks, whatever it may be. You need that shield of faith. And faith covers so much of your body. It protects your head. It protects your heart. It's sitting there out in front of you. It's that extra protection in front of you to to protect and to guard. And if you don't have that faith protecting you, you're susceptible to the attacks of the wicked. Look at people who go through trials and hard times. Those that have faith, you can see it in their lives, the peace that they have, the protection that you can see uh, that they, they, they feel protected even in that trial. And then you can see the people who don't feel protected. And the people who don't have faith. I mean, they're defeated, they're worried, they're depressed. They're just going through all this, this uh, emotion and heartache and, and hardship because they don't have faith. Man, it's so important that we have this shield of faith. It says to quench the fiery darts. Listen, these darts, they come suddenly like a bow and arrow. They come unexpectedly like an ambush. They come, uh, they pierce and they penetrate and they torment. Fiery darts, they didn't just hurt, they lasted. It it produced torment when it hit you. Some of them would be uh, poison, uh, have some sort of poison on them that that would get that sting that goes through. That's where the fiery comes from. And and they they I'm telling you, they do a lot of damage. Faith quenches. And ultimately renders ineffective these fiery darts. Faith does that. If we can't please God without faith, it feels like that battle is a losing battle if we don't have faith. I told you before, I like to avoid pain. I'm not a fan of pain. I think there are things that I define as good pain. Um, you know, if you're getting a shoulder rub, 
and get a knot out of your shoulder, I feel like that's good pain. The knot's not good pain, but the, the rubbing and the massaging, that's good pain because it's going to go away. Um, I, the, uh, uh, what do you call the, the menthol stuff that you rub on your chest? Uh, you know, it can sting sometimes, but that's good pain in my, in my opinion. It's just me. Um, you know, the icy hot, that's good pain at times. Uh, but ultimately, I really don't like pain. And the pain that the wicked, that the wicked one gives by throwing and shooting these fiery darts and the, the, the impact that it has, I don't want that pain. That's not good pain. And the Bible says that faith will quench those fiery darts. Sounds like it's pretty important. Faith comes by having confidence in God and relying on God's promises and help. We're going through this spiritual battle and the spiritual war, and every single piece of this armor is, is crucial. God says put on the whole armor of God. And so I'm, I'm never going to tell you, well, as long as you've got faith and everything else, you know, it's important and whatnot, but as long as you've got faith, no, no, no. No, faith is just a piece of the puzzle. But without it, you're susceptible. Without it, you're opening yourself up to these fiery darts. And the fiery darts, they're different than, a, than an arrow. The arrow hurts, pierces, and hurts. The fiery dart has that poison that, that spreads the burn. And it impacts so much. If you don't have faith to quench those darts, you're going to get hit with those darts. And so, I encourage you to stand, therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked, and take the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. We'll look at that verse, uh, verse number 17 next week. Lord, thank you for your love for us. Thank you for your uh, preparation for us, giving us what we need, showing us clearly what we need in our lives to protect us against the attacks of Satan, the conflict of sin. Lord, I pray that you would help us to be fully equipped. We know what we're supposed to do. Uh, Lord, help us now to put on the armor. Lord, that we would follow you and obey you and be prepared in this war that we are in. Lord, today I pray that you'd help us to be prepared with the gospel of peace. And Lord, that we would have that shield of faith. Faith is something that, that wanes in people. It goes up and down. Lord, help us today to have that shield of faith. And if we don't, Lord, today would you help us to seek your help? Would you help us to seek your forgiveness and your restoration? Lord, that we can put on this armor and be ready for the attack that we're going to face today and tomorrow and the next day and, and on and on. So, Lord, help us to follow your word, I pray in Jesus' name. With our heads bowed and eyes closed, would you stand with